Experienced, holistic, comprehensive, and client-focused. These are just a few words I took away from my conversation with Beth Bosworth. Beth is one of those individuals in our industry that we wish we could replicate and put everywhere. Beth is experienced and well-versed within the industry, but also has a diverse set of experiences that allows her to relate and positively impact clients in the firm she works for. After graduating from the University of Valencia in Spain, (laughs) Beth has seen the big firm environment with SunTrust and managing high net worth families' monies there to now working at an independent firm, Lakeview Capital Partners, who is pushing the independent advisory world forward. And today, we will push towards understanding the industry where it is today and then where it will be tomorrow. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Beth, thanks for joining us in in studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And we we plan to do it in the morning because you are expecting, which is exciting. And you said that morning is when your thoughts are the best. It tends to be. And so we be. want your best thoughts. <laughs> I don't. I get a little tripped up with my words by <laughs> late in the day. <laughs> um, and so one of the things, I, I found a few of the things interesting before we get into the questions that are going to be even more interesting, but uh, a few things, right? So you're well-versed, uh, but you're also extremely talented on the math side uh, of your SAT. You only missed, how many questions did you one, miss on I the math side? one question. And so, so that's really good. That's really good. So now let's get to the other side of the equation now. because the SAT is uh, is twofold. There's a <laughs> there's a math portion, and there's a grammar portion. And so how'd you do on the grammar portion? You know what? It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. It was. It, it, let's just say this. It definitely made um, made it very obvious where my talents lie. Mm. So uh, I kind of took that and rolled with it. Now the Spanish literature major is a is a bit of an odd duck, but I appreciated the challenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to challenge yourself after you almost perfect the, the math <laughs> side. I mean, just going into a profession where you're doing just math all the time would not be as good. Um, but that is still impressive, one point. But the other thing that's impressive so is the you're a, a champion. I am. You're a champion. And, I am a, a champion. In a very I'm not even prestigious, in a prestigious <laughs> event. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. So freshman year of college, um, I was uh, hand-selected to be a part Mm. of an elite group that would take part in this competition. Um, And, you know, the one thing that really scared me is they actually chose Papa John's when I'm more of a Domino's person. But nonetheless, uh, I did um, come out victorious in a co-ed pizza eating contest my freshman year of college. So can I ask how many pieces had to be eaten to win? It's so funny because I was trying to remember. Um, I think it was somewhere, it was timed. So that was important too. So you had X amount of time. I took the sandwich strategy to take down two at once. Um, And I think it was like 13 pieces in two minutes or something like that. Wow. How did you feel um, Because after it was that? more than one. I know it was more than one pizza. Well, so immediately afterwards, I was dressed to go partake in a flag football <laughs> um, competition. And I, let's just say that I got pulled and replaced fairly quickly to allow for some recovery time that I didn't think I needed. You know, when you're that age, you kind of think you can do anything. <laughs> Whoever was scheduled in your schedule that day uh, had a little bit of a mess up. Yes. Had a little bit of a mess it up. Was, uh, it was rough for, for a little bit. <laughs> and, and what made you go out to Spain for college? Um, I, well, I really bounced around majors. I struggled with what I wanted to do. Mm. Back to the math, I was kind of taking calculus one, two, three as electives. So it just never really dawned on me to, to go back to that. But I always had Spanish as a minor. Um, and I bounced around so much, I thought I'm going to be here for seven years 
years if I don't, you know, move this along. And one easy way to move it along was switch Spanish to a major. I already had, you know, uh, Bucuz of credits there. Mm-hmm. So, and then it was, well, we do this awesome, you know, partnership with the University of Valencia. So you could actually go and finish there. They have all your required courses. So I did my last semester there. That's very cool. Yeah. Very jealous. Uh, well, let's dive into this because I, I'm a I'm a big fan of Lakeview. I've followed Lakeview for a long time. Thank and you. um gotten to know you recently Mm -hmm. through some partnerships and become a good big fan of yours. And um, I want to start really simple because I think that you bring a unique perspective given your work at times with SunTrust and then Mm -hmm. another RA before getting to Lakeview. And Lakeview is doing some interesting things right now in terms of how their growth focus is. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to start simple and say, what do you think the state of the industry is, right? Thinking of kind of your state of the union uh, for the industry, given where you sit, what, what what's the state of our industry today? You know, I think to put it really simply mm-hmm. and to kind of summarize it up front would be changing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been a really slow to adapt, slow to change industry, but there's something going on about, I think it's a combination of the regulatory environment, finally having some... Uh, real developments in the technology space, but also the consumer, I think, is driving some of these changes as well. Um, A lot of that has to do, I think, with generational differences when we kind of look at the differences between, say, a baby boomer and a Gen Xer and how they expect to receive advice. Mm. Um, But those are kind of three examples of why we're finally really pushing into this world of valuing innovation Mm -hmm. um, across the board. Um, and And I think part of that innovation in this world that we live in has to be the technology space. And I think finally we're seeing, you know, seed money and um, going into actual advances kind of from the grassroots level, but also firms really prioritizing technology mm-hmm. and seeing what it can do. So um, I really think as an as an industry, and, and I do believe in the regulatory changes to a certain degree as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of these things are, at the end of the day, they're amazing things to finally happen for the consumer. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that one of the points I take away there is the idea of the consumer Consumer driving some of the change, right? Yeah. And and how uh, boomers versus Gen X versus millennials and how they want to interact with their advisor. Can let's dig deeper on that for a second, mm-hmm. right? What how, what are y'all seeing at, at Lakeview of some of those changes that are happening? The di- what what do you see as the differences between you know maybe one or high level one that. Uh, between a boomer and a Gen Xer in terms of how they want to consume their information. That's such are. a good question. And I, I really kind of look back into our client base and you can you can identify certain characteristics of different clients. And I would say our boomers tend to be a little bit more delegators. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to, they're they're very accustomed to hiring somebody, you, you know, it, it's all built on that trust relationship to me, no matter which generation you're working with. But we hire you based on our trust relationship. And then we walk away we're going to come and sit down with you maybe once a quarter at most, maybe once a year. Sometimes we have to drag them in. Mm -hmm. Um, But they really kind of delegate to you. And they say, here you go. We trust you. We want you to do your thing. Um, When a Gen Xer has come up a little bit more in that technology world where they had these computers at their fingertips, they they grew up researching things, you know, right there, um, Mm -hmm. real time that they wanted to know. So I found that they're a little bit more DIYers. They're, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones who are watching HGTV and tackling that 
that plumbing issue or that home renovation, you know, and you see that in our space as well, that they, they're more collaborative. So mm-hmm. less delegators, much more collaborative. Um, and part of what you have to do, I think, to serve that community is back it up with some real-time experiences as a client. So mm-hmm. we're looking at a lot more integrated softwares that provide things in one view, mm-hmm. maybe via an app, ideally, where they can see how's their financial plan doing, what's the performance been in their investment accounts, and what are their balances, um, you know, how much risk are they taking in their portfolio? You want to see all these things in one screenshot. So we're finding that as opposed to, the, you know, them having to go and um, research the information themselves. They they also want, and they'll probably do that anyways, yeah, but they right. really want us to provide easy access snapshots of what's going on so that they can look at it anytime. And they That's can dive into it. They can look at it and t- tweak it however they want and answer any questions that they want or just or derive questions that they they want to have. And, you know, I think that your point about baby boomers being the delegators, uh, I was I was at a, a speaking engagement where uh, Chris DeSantis spoke, and mm-hmm. he's a really uh, well-known kind of workforce, generational type of uh, speaker. And mm-hmm. he's talking about how the baby boomers, when you know they were growing up, it was like, come on in, like, let's come in. Like, they're very like welcoming. They want to just build this relationship yeah. and they, they're open. They open their doors to everybody. Whereas like Gen X and millennials, as we've gotten more involved with technology are like a little bit more standoffish mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, just do this for me. I don't care about anything else. I'll take care of, I don't really want to get to know you as well because yeah. I got technology to help. And that's kind of the interactions. And you have to understand that like y'all do. Mm-hmm. In terms of helping to uh, build a firm that serves multi generations, because you can't have you can't expect your Gen X to come in the door every quarter to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. That's not the way they work. No, it's not. It's not the way they work. But they you're, think you're crazy. When right. You ask them to. <laughs> right. But you. But there's a way to marry the two, utilizing technology as you're talking about, of how to kind of bridge that gap. Right. Because yeah. Gen Xers and Boomers still are using technology. Uh, it's just a matter of how they engage and utilize it from that right. standpoint. And so that gets to the question of really, you know, as you look at the industry now and where we're going, the challenges of the state, where we are, what is it going to take for firms to really differentiate themselves, right? And I, yeah. I'll i lay the groundwork here because I always said that you know, 20 years ago is all about investment management. I have a better investment management strategy than someone else. Uh, and then, you know, past 10, 15 years, it's been financial planning, right? I do financial planning, they don't. Yep. Both of those now are pretty commoditized, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're all doing that. Yep. Um, so where do we differentiate ourselves? That's a really good question. And I think even to take a step back, I think one thing that I find we have to do more often than we probably do is identify terms and define them within our industry, because we could use the same term and actually mean very different things. Mm-hmm. So um, I found that obviously my my specific trade or my specific spot in this industry is financial planning, and I'm focused on that. So I nitpick it a little bit. Um, but I think when you look at the term financial planning, you really have to identify what am I getting from somebody who says that they're doing a, you know, mm. they're they're operating as a financial planner. Mm-hmm. Am I getting output from a software where they send me home with this binder and mm-hmm. say, good luck, here's your plan? Or am I getting somebody who goes way beyond the software into a more comprehensive space, asking mm-hmm. me about my family members, asking me about my um, getting tax returns and doing tax planning, coming up with charitable giving strategies, you know, all of these various things that a lot of times aren't necessarily well suited for a software. Um, so we want to make sure that when we're when we're talking about financial planning, that we really identify what are you getting. 
And I think to your, get to your point, I think what we found that is commoditized is that output, that binder that you get from the financial planning software. As somebody who stays up to date on financial planning software and can kind of geek out on that, mm-hmm. they're definitely different from each other. However, if you put you know the same information in multiple softwares, the idea is that you really should get the same result. So um, there's not a lot of overlay of expertise necessarily other than making sure you know how to use the software and, and, and how to make sure that things are validated or correct. But when you go beyond that, that to me is where the next 10 years are. We need to live life alongside our clients. That's our mm. motto at Lakeview, mm. especially when we talk about integrating mm. financial planning. We know all of the familial relationship issues. We know um, everybody's tax situation. We know what people's true goals are. And it's not, I want to spend X amount in retirement. It's, you know what? My parents gave me a million dollars when you know they passed away. I had that inheritance, and it is incredibly important for me to do that for my kids mm-hmm. and for us to really solve for these things. You know that really matter to people. I had some clients who basically run a, a very um, informal farm, and it was we built a goal and expectation of retirement was I want to make sure I can keep my animals. Mm-hmm. You know we have to understand the cash flow of that, and then you know veterinary issues and all these sorts of things. Um, and and that so that's what I know that that's what's most important to them. That has nothing to do with um, you know. Can I retire at 64 necessarily? It's a much more specific, much more personal goal. So I think the more personal we get in this industry, we really become these people. Uh, we're not a life coach necessarily, but we do live life right alongside mm-hmm. clients. And it reminds you of the family office style um, that I think has really been embraced for the ultra high net worth. So to me, if I were to kind of sum this up, we're bringing that family office feel mm-hmm. down to the retail consumer because the reality is, is they need it just as much, arguably, if not yeah. more, than the ultra high net worth, where we have to make much more intentional and um, optimal decisions for a traditional retail client than maybe an ultra high net worth. They can afford to make mistakes, typically. They um, live in a whole different world of time horizon, where the time horizon goes into multiple generations, mm-hmm. where with our retail clients, we're dealing with a finite time horizon. You know, There's some serious differences where I think bringing that level of service into the retail client, um, that's really what we all need to be aspiring to do. Yeah, I, I, I think that your, I mean, your, your opinion is, is extremely spot on. And what, what I take away from that is that it's really the differentiator is, differentiator is about personal interaction, yes. right? It's about the relationship. It's about the human. And, and, and that is what's going to differentiate you, right? How you service them, how you're servicing, mm-hmm. how the value that, how deep are you going in the financial plan? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's some people out there that would be listening to this and say, well, shoot, that seems like a lot. Right. Like, how am I going to have enough clients to be able to support that? And I think that that then gets to the answer of where technology fits into a practice. Right. There is a lot of menial things that go along in that process that keep you from being able to get that deep and alongside, as you said, Mm -hmm. with the client. And so technology should take those things off that are keeping you from that, not to take away from the experience of living the life with your client. And I think that that's the challenge of advisors because, you know, setting up the plan, getting the tax returns, part of that, right, if you break that task down, part of that is, you know, I want to get the tax return so I can do tax projection. Well, what are you doing? You're yeah. reaching out to them to be like, hey, can I get your tax return? Right. Like, who do you, what's your account? Let me reach out to them. Like, can right. I get, you keep on, and you put in your CRM and you have all these tasks. And it's like, well, I have now 14 of these and I'm trying to <laughs> coordinate who I've gotten tax returns mm-hmm. from. Um, and so that's where technology adds, right? Definitely. It's not going to take away that relationship. And that's where people differentiate. Where you can you be 10 times deeper and better 
with your clients from right. that standpoint. Absolutely. And I think that I think that what's important is even drawing a line between the menial task and, and you have to be really intentional about this to keep using that word. It's obviously one of my favorite words. Um, it's called intentional. Intention- that's yeah. a podcast. That, perfect. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's drawing that line between the menial task and when you can actually have meaningful conversations. So the gathering of the data itself, it's like, okay, yeah, send it to me. Here's my client vault where you can download it securely or I'll reach out to your CPA directly. Here's a release for you know, those kinds of things are really well handled by operations. They can keep marking things off, keep our technology up to date. But then what comes out of that when you go through it is a whole huge host of questions. That's where you get into the meat of who these people are and mm-hmm. what they want to achieve in life and what's important to them. So, you know, you kind of, you have to really watch where that line moves also between mm-hmm. menial and you start moving into this idea of that personalized advice column mm-hmm. um, and making sure that you really ebb and flow and that you also delegate the tasks or the duties associated with this sort of deep dive to the right people. And I think that that go- and I mean that goes to where um, that goes to where this industry is going and needs to go from that standpoint mm-hmm. is that innovation in our world is always thought of as more technology. But innovation mm-hmm. in our world is that us as advisors need to take a step back and look at the processes and innovate and iterate on the processes to make them more efficient and scalable for our firms right. so that we can do more of this. That's innovation. And then once you figure that out, you can then put technology in to streamline and uh, and scale right. some of those processes. But I think that too many of us say, well, I know how to do all this. Mm-hmm. Right? It's already being done. Mm-hmm. But is it being done the right way and the best way to allow you to now go from doing this for 40 families to 60 families or 70 families because if you're not growing it's going to be hard to stay relevant in this industry going forward. It definitely is. And I think even talking about innovation, we have to look inside the industry itself and say, what does the industry itself need? And I do believe that we need, um, I would argue, a little bit more regulation, but much better, well-suited regulation to be written mm-hmm. by the right people, single governing or maybe two governing bodies. You know, we have multiple government governing bodies mm-hmm. that kind of come in and try to come yeah. in. But I, it's not that I don't believe that we don't need regulation, but you look at, we need regulation that makes sense. But we also need to look inside the industry and say, who is out there serving people? And the reality is, is when you look at it, it's not a very diverse population. Mm-hmm. We're By age, by um, probably socioeconomic past or, or upbringing, um, even by gender. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really haven't innovated into how do we bring up that next generation and get them particularly into the independent space, but reach people of color, reach women, you mm-hmm. know, and encourage them into this industry because they're going to really come in and help with what you're talking about to make sure that we look at how we need to innovate and how we need to grow as an industry to help us really handle kind of expanding these tasks and who's well-suited for that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's a really important piece that, that maybe we don't think about, but to me, that's also being innovative. Well, and I think that that, that goes to another point from that Chris DeSantis speak, speech that I heard about uh, cross-generational in the workforce is – I think that too many too many financial advisory firms go and hire millennials and say they don't work hard enough, they yeah. don't have the ethic, and they say, I'm trying to get them to do all this stuff and they just won't do it. It's because you're not giving them the guidance as much as they need to. And they have a different perspective. If you really want – they – have more experience than probably the baby boomers did when they came into the workforce mm-hmm. because they've been interacting with the web for so much longer than 
what the baby boomer generation 100%. did, right? Yep. And, and so they have a different perspective and they can actually look at your process, but too much of the advisory industry is saying, this is the way that we've done it. It ain't broke. Don't fix it. Right. Just do this. Right. And they're like, well, I want to, there's other ways of doing it. If you give them that ability, you could become really innovative in the way you think because they're going to yes. look at your process, diversity 100%, and also diversity within the workforce in terms of your talent and what job responsibilities or roles that you're mm-hmm. giving them in your firm and challenging them with. Absolutely. I mean, a couple of things just to unpack some of the things that you said. I think bringing in and really celebrating the differences in the generations, we're trying to do that with our clients. Why in the world are we not really mm-hmm. celebrating that with our workforce as well? I think it's incredibly important to do that. And like you said, the talents and technology, but also I I would say we're really moving into this kind of consumer advocacy-focused industry. That's what the independent space was kind of all about, in mm-hmm. my opinion, when it was formed. And, you know, it's, it's what, maybe 30 – just at 30, 30 plus years old to kind of have this independent space in our world. Um, and and what we don't realize too is a lot of them were birthed here in Atlanta. So yeah. we have a really rich history of incubating the independent space. Um, but this consumer advocacy focus, when you look at millennials and then I'm trying to remember what's the one that's Gen younger. Z. Gen, Z. Gen Z. That should be easy. Right. Um, Gen Z. Um, when you look at what motivates them, advocacy is a huge piece of that. Mm-hmm. They want to go by, I always say they want to go buy Tom's shoes because they know that then I think they provide another pair of shoes Mm -hmm. for every pair of shoes that you buy. Um, So they want to partake in that. So I really think there's ways that we can reach this generation and leverage their strengths instead of focusing on all the things that frustrate us or why they're different. You know, the reality is, is you need different kinds of people to do different kinds of things for a diverse client base. So I don't understand why we haven't embrace this and use it as a strength. Well, you're you know? never going to have innovation if you don't have different opinions and different thoughts. You're never going to think yeah. outside the box. And, you know, and in the, you know, everybody says that the generation behind them is always the worst generation, right? <laughs> so Millennials true. are like, Gen Z doesn't do anything. They're always on Snapchat. <laughs> so true. And, and baby boomers didn't like Gen X and Gen X says, and so it's always until everybody gets to an ultimately level playing field where the experience is like so, you know, uh, verse or, or wide in terms of that generation, everybody's saying, that generation doesn't do enough. So right? true. And the people, the generation before the boomers said it about the boomers. Oh, these yep. people are so like crazy. They think they can change the world. Like they're so hopeful. Yep. What the hell are they thinking? We I went know. through the depression. That's right. right? That's they, right. They, uh, you know, it's just every generation does that. And no so, doubt. you know, when it comes to innovation, you know, I, I think the diversity and in, in utilizing the people in your firm and the talent you have, what are the conversations that you are having on the leadership level uh, at Lakeview around innovation? What do those conversations look like inside y'all's four walls? Um, this is a really good question. So um, I'm going to start with the really easy one that mm-hmm. we also identified as the most obvious, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. technology. Uh, one of the things that we've really started doing is evaluating all of our vendors and how they're utilizing technology and staying up to date on technology. So that means everything from our custodians. You know, what is what are they doing to invest in technology and that they can then turn around and pass to us and pass to our clients. So it's not just us finding technology suites and kind of putting these things together. Um, but but secondly, I think it really is focusing on the integrations of technology yeah. and making sure that our integrations are really sound. You know, everyone integrates, but w- as little as I know about how this works, I do know that there are multiple levels or tiers of integration that happen and making sure that you understand that and look under the hood and making sure that you're really optimizing the integrations and getting that highest level of fee or whatever's coming to kind of make sure that your technology suite really fits together. Um, So I think prioritizing technology is definitely kind of the easy answer to that question. I think the tougher answer to that question is how do we recruit 
um, straight out of college? And how do we support and train that, or I use the word incubate, how do we how do we do a better job in the independent space as a whole of incubating those young future advisors? Mm-hmm. We've figured out, and it's pretty easy to go and find interns, right, mm-hmm. um, and get them into our space. But in terms of you know shelling out the dollars and saying we are willing to bring you in and train you as a junior advisor, I mm-hmm. think that that's proven to be a little bit tough. The independent space does a decent job about hiring like a client service specialist out of college and saying you know what we're going to train you on this side, that's an operations side. And then you hope that maybe they'll seek a credential and transition Mm -hmm. to a junior advisor role or junior planner role or whatever it might be. Um, But I think actually hiring that generation to come in and and train them immediately to be an advisor, Mm -hmm. like has always been done in the the large firm or the the large broker, the big bank, whatever you want to call them. That's what we keep talking about. We really don't have an answer for it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still actively interning a lot. Yeah. But that's the easy part. We well, got to solve for the hard. And part. there's two there's two questions I want to take out of that because I, it's it's technology and it's people, right? Mm-hmm. And those are going to be the drivers of differentiation. Is how what firms are able to to grow people the most and leverage technology the most effective way. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be the firms that are going to be the the ones up at the top while everybody else is still trying to catch them. Mm-hmm. So. I think that they also combine because I think, I mean, because technology is going to change the way that we train our people, right? So one of the biggest challenges in training is uh, how do you put them into enough situations to where they can understand how to go about dealing with those, right? right? And and that's when everybody says it just takes time and experience. That's where technology is going to change the game even more is on the innovation of how to train our people. Because these ideas that when I say it to advisors, when I go out and talk at conferences or talk to them at anything else, I say VR. And they're like, ah, VR is not coming in. <laughs> VR is not coming in. But there, it is. They haven't done it. It's it so is. fun. <laughs> right. It's amazing. But it is coming in because the idea of VR with AI, with with you know data warehousing and, and data processing is that we know the situations that we want them to experience. Mm-hmm. And we can replicate those with technology. Yeah. And we now can utilize VR to put goggles on our new kids' heads mm-hmm. on, out of college and say, I want you to go and deal with this situation. I want you to interact. Right. And you can now have this real conversation where you see the people, you see how they react. Yeah. And you can have those conversations conversations yep. with them and then you can analyze how that person did mm-hmm. and help them understand mm-hmm. what they need to do better so and they true. can have thousands of those yep. in a span of a hundred days and you now can have talent up and running yep. within a year that's so true that's such a good point it's actually one I've never really thought about even though I see it um, through my spouse used in like anti-bullying mm-hmm. campaigns and they're really trying to use the gaming world to come and specifically VR and they had a huge summit recently here in Atlanta bringing in people to simulate these these opportunities to try out how would you react and how does that go go over um, you know the other reality is is that we just need to pull them into meetings mm-hmm. we need to take the time that was yeah. how I was brought up I am yeah. so grateful for one of the independent firms and the lead advisor there wanting me to be in every meetings. And it was menial things like note taking. and But what I learned about being an advisor and having these deeper conversations and, and following cues and, and then learning the sequence of questions I should ask, all those things. Um, I mean, it was incredibly beneficial to bring me up to, mm-hmm. to be an advisor and be ready to have those conversations myself. So it's such a similar concept, right? Yeah. And we don't have to 
wait for the VR technology. Yeah. If we'll just take the time and put these people in You got to have the reps. You got to have the reps. Yep. And, you know, when I've done that, I have found that my clients love the idea that we're bringing up the next generation because you know what they see? They see a succession plan. Yeah. They see, a, oh, if Beth gets hit by a bus, here's here's what she's doing to prepare for that, right? Well, so, well, and also a lot of clients like to have a younger advisor. Some like it, some don't. But a lot of them say, I like having a younger advisor because you're going to outlive me. Yes. You're not going to retire before me. Yes. I need to make sure that my safety and my my future is in line. And so that's Absolutely. what's the beauty of having a, a, a younger advisor. Absolutely. The, the other point I want to talk, John, or I want to get to a few more questions before we go into buy-sell, but is um, – the idea of technology, you were when you were discussing technology, when we were talking about what y'all do in your innovation, you know, when you discuss innovation in your leadership meetings, mm-hmm. you're talking about integrations and deep integrations. And, you know, a lot of people get overwhelmed with this. Mm-hmm. And so what are you all doing to better understand technology, right? How do you know what questions to ask? We aren't technology. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't started a technology company, you're not a technology. You, know, you don't know. know technology that well. You've interacted with it, but you don't know whether the technology providers, t- you know, smoking, you know, throwing you know, stuff on the wall for you to right. believe. How are you under- better understanding the technological world to be able to ask the right questions and understand the answers that are coming from So that's a great question. And I'll say that we kind of fumbled our way into the right, you know how sometimes you can fumble your way into the end zone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We somewhat fumbled our way into, into the end zone on this one um, where we hired a guy who had experience as a financial advisor mm-hmm. um, for years. He really is a deep kind of stock analyst, market analyst type. He's a market technician even, but really a true analyst, not just a technician. But he happened to lead that intrigue recruited out to work for a tech startup for a number of years. And then all of a sudden that company goes public and they get taken over and it's like, okay, you did a great job. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, let's move on to the next thing. So somehow we landed this guy and he's now our head of technology. He has taught us as a firm more than we ever could have learned on our own. So I think making sure to reach outside of your box and hire that expert. We were lucky that he had the financial industry especially personal finance um, experience. Mm-hmm. And that makes him really be able to speak our language. I don't know that there's a lot of a lot of this package out there. Mm-hmm. But for us, it was just a huge win to take us into these um, real large investments into a whole new technology suite. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think making sure you invest in the right person, that's a heck of a lot less expensive than investing in the wrong technology and having to undo it. Mm-hmm. You know, we already have adoption issues in our industry. So if you're changing, we had found at Lakeview, we were changing way too much. Mm-hmm. We were, you know, throwing this at people and then we're going to change this and we're going to change this. We never really took the right steps back to say, you know what, let's try to do this right from the beginning. And let me tell you, that strategic hire was everything. And it was pennies compared to the investment that you make in technology every yeah, year. Yeah. And it, and it kind of goes to the point that the, the providers, there are great technology companies out there, but this kind of proves the point that the providers you use, if you don't have that person, should be providers that know the industry or yes. come from the industry. Yes. Those are some of the best solutions that have been that have come to do coming about. Or uh, maybe the sales forces are great, right? But they didn't necessarily they didn't start in this industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Orions are really great because they were homegrown. Mm-hmm. They started mm-hmm. in the industry. They solved a problem for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's something that if you don't have the ability of hiring that person, that you should put on your list of not only are the are the 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 features great? But where did they come from? Right. What spurred this concept? Oh, this technology guy thought there's an opportunity here, or hey, I solved a problem for a firm that I was actually working for. Right. And so I think that's good, uh, good takeaway. So two, I want to go on two more questions. Wrap up real quick before we go into buy sell. Okay. Is 
I, I want to, what keeps you up at night? What are three things that keep you up at night? <laughs> That's a good question. So to be honest. In the one, workforce. I mean, the family life, I, I know that there's a lot of things that can, <laughs> babies, because there's a lot of things that keep me up at babies, night as well. pregnancy. But, right, right. <laughs> um, so really, uh, it, this was such an interesting question. And I had to dig deep and say, you know what, I need to kind of step outside of what my true expertise or upbringing is in the industry. I think one of the things that keeps me up at night right now is we're in a kind of an, what I think is an unprecedented new normal, particularly in the bond space. Um, um, because we have a force of investors that really have never experienced a rising interest rate environment ever, mm-hmm. um, and how that might work together. We saw correlations. We see correlations in down markets continue to rise um, on the equity side, and then yet we might kind of, if we if we have this colliding of bad equity markets, but also you know bonds at historically low levels still. Um, I, I think that's one of the things. Just hmm. to be honest, that keeps me up at night. Yeah. Um, I I do think these are the kinds of events that really challenge the commoditization. Commoditization is yeah, that a word? That's a good word. <laughs> um, Very good word. Uh, of of the money management side mm-hmm. of the industry. So um, you know we're trying to really get expand the traditional asset allocation into more alternatives and things of that nature because we really feel that the bond space is not going to be a great place to go and hide for the long term. And I think that that just to touch on, I'm going to cut you off for a second, but sure. just to touch on that, that I think is an opportunity for advisors, right? That is a that is a market event that we know is likely going to happen at some point. Yep. How are you going to be as an advisor more proactive with your clients to keep them from jumping off the cliff? We know they're going to jump right. off the cliff no matter what you do. Right. And that's going to cost time because you're going to have emails and phone calls and yep. text messages and everything from your clients. How do you utilize technology now to help lay the foundation, to help them understand and stay proactive with yep. them? And, and that's where that that is an that is a perfect example of how technology can be used effectively. It situation. really is. And I think I think, too, in the independent space, a lot of people think, we well, don't have that big name behind you. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but we have Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade. We have some pretty big names behind right. us when you look at our custodians. But we also have the ability to reach out and grab research and data from anywhere. Mm-hmm. So what we do at Lakeview is we've actually selected kind of decks of market slides from a single, you know, big competitor, but yet we get approved to kind of receive these decks. And our clients look at those every quarter. Every time we have a review, we're looking at the same slide updated, Mm -hmm. and we're talking about the conditions in the market. Mm -hmm. So we're using... Um, kind of all the resources that we have out there, we don't need to produce it necessarily. We do produce a lot of our own white papers and things like that, but we review these same things over and over again, and we really value education so that we can say, okay, let's go back to the slides. Let's mm-hmm. remember the foundation that we've laid. Are they going to jump off the cliff? Some of them are. Some of them thrive on jumping off the cliff, mm-hmm. right? And we have to let them be themselves, and we have to make sure they feel safe to tell us they're jumping off the cliff, and mm-hmm. that's what they're doing. But as long as we give the the best idea or the best educational process, and then we are consistent with it to allow those who aren't trained mm-hmm. or haven't come up in this industry to absorb it, start to understand it. I mean, that's really one of the things that we do that I'm really, really proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, that consistency in that educational process is absolutely vital. So I want to challenge one thing real quick, and I want I want your opinion. I'm on ready. It. So we we've been talking a lot about it, and we've talked about it before you and I as well. Is and we talked about it a little bit earlier on this podcast. Is the the future of this industry is a more deep a, a deeper relationship, whether it's more EQ relationship building mm-hmm. with our client. Right now, we're talking about the market, the the slides we show in the meetings. Is that the value? 
Yeah. Is that the value that we need to be we need to be talking about or is is that what the clients do they want to hear that? Do they want to see that? How how do we get to that point, right? Because that is what's comfortable. Yeah. How do we get to that point in the meetings where our clients may not talk about the bond market because mm-hmm. it yeah, that's up to us to figure out right. as advisors. Right. How do we turn that to where they're not having conversations about their situation and they want to go to Spain, they want to go to right. Italy? Right. How do we keep those conversations going instead of being like, hey, why is the market going down? Right, right. It's and a, is that necessary? I don't know. It's a good question. I, I believe so. but Yeah, I believe that we have to do both. We have to talk about the things that really matter to them. And what I found is the financial planning things are the things that really matter to most of them and that they want to talk about. Um, but then we have to force them into, like part of our onboarding process is you have to sit and go through our investor education. You have to. And there's mm-hmm. little parts in there that are interactive so we know you're awake and you're participating, and you're thinking about these things. Um, We actually spent a lot of time on that, running it by non-industry folks, whether it would be a spouse or a parent or a friend, people to make sure that we were um, communicating and using this and leveraging it in a way that was easy to consume Mm -hmm. by just the norm, you know, the traditional consumer with the traditional background. So I I think one thing that we have to really be careful about in letting technology come in and take over our space is we have to identify the things that technology can't do. And when it comes to education. We can use technology to make it easy and make it consistent, but the delivery of it cannot be done by technology. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think making sure that when you're asking questions and going through like an educational process, you're asking questions that also give you an idea of where people are, their experiences and what their aptitude is, and then how you can build upon that is important. I also think, particularly if you're meeting with a couple, Typically, they are talented in different things. Mm -hmm. So I think identifying behaviorally how one might be better suited to really participate and take over from a household perspective, the cash flows versus one that might be particularly suited to take over understanding the investment selections and that we're following your risk tolerance and how we're taking risk and what's going on in market conditions and making sure that we honor those and we talk about Mm -hmm. it and help a couple or people that are involved together. It may be a series of a couple of trustees or a board of trustees. For We need to identify people's strengths and weaknesses and really run with that. Yeah. And again, I think that's part of the advisor. When you go through that educational process, you're able to really pick that out and you're able to see what lights people up and when they participate more or when they pull back more. Yeah. So. It's a matter of also understanding your clients. You have to under, you have to be able to break down and deal with your clients even individually differently, yeah. which is a, which is a big thing. Absolutely. All right. Let's move into bot because I mean, we could talk, we could stay here for hours <laughs> and, I, and, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I, but we may have to break it up into multiple podcasts so that we have a <laughs> listener base still after this. But uh, I think it's a really – I think that, that – because I think that the points that you make are uh, extremely valid. And I think that the challenges that we face as an industry are real. And it's a matter mm-hmm. of how do we become uncomfortable with you – know, how do we become comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? How do, we, how do we get over that hump of what we have known to be the case for so long and mm-hmm. to where we need to go? And mm-hmm. um, and so we may bring you back on and have continued diving deeper into <laughs> that. Uh, buy, sell is my addition of cheesiness, I of trying it. to bring in the, the market trading aspect into this. So yeah. what we're going to do is I'm going to say four statements, Perfect. one at a time, buy or sell. Buy means you agree, sell means you disagree. Yep. And then just give a quick uh, overview of, of why you're on one side or the other. I try to sometimes plant it to make you more of a bear or a bull, but I didn't do that for you uh, this time. Uh, so buy or sell, first one. Buy or sell, a technology budget is more important than a marketing budget for advisors looking to grow. Yep. Are you ready for the shortest answer you've gotten from me yet? Yeah. Buy, technology is marketing. 
Wow. I'm going to actually pry a second. Okay. Explain. Um, so especially when you get into the client experience, we have kind of all, through integrations, we have everything on one screen for a client. And that's a part of our marketing package. When mm. people are asking for like a deck um, or a pitch book, if you will, about Lakeview, that's one of the slides that's in there. And that's when you see people perk up because that's what actually applies to them. They can look at AUM. I would love if they would read our vision and values. We spend a lot of time on it. Right. The reality is, is they probably don't. That's the one piece that they really are like, oh, this is what it's going to look like when I'm a client. So let me tell you something. The technology is marketing, especially too, if you get an engine behind you that's providing um, content, that's where too, I mean, you don't have to write your own content. I think you need to have a, a, a certain amount of that infused if you really want to be a thought leader. Um, you can't always just, you know, private label somebody else's content. But still, again, technology is marketing out there. So I think if you find the right technology suite, that covers a good deal of what you're trying to do from a marketing standpoint. The budgets have collided. I love that. I love that. Two different line items, but both needed. Yes. Uh, or both are the same. All right. I like it. Buy or sell. In 10 years, financial advisors will not be charging clients via the traditional percentage of AUM fee that is so common today. This is a tough one um, because I wish I could buy it, but the reality is I sell it. Mm. When you look at the AUM model, it's the least conflictive model for us to get paid out there. It's also the most transparent. So if you do you do away with AUM model, you do away with two things. Number one, really transparent reporting so people can see net of fees, what their performance was, and how they're doing and what they get to keep. Number two, I haven't seen another one that actually allows us to participate and sit on the same side of the table like the AUM fee model. So um, what I mean by that is if your account goes up, our fee goes up. If your account goes down, our fee goes down. And again, with those two things, I'm not willing to lose those two things. I would love to come up with another way to do it. I've been thinking about it for years and years and years and years and sitting in the room with a ton of smart people who have been thinking about it a lot longer than I have. We have not come up with another solution that, in my opinion, honors the trust relationship and even builds the trust relationship because of those two foundational things. Yeah, and clients are comfortable with it, right? And so we talk a lot about financial advisors becoming uncom being comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> clients don't have to be that way because they are the buyer of the product right. and they don't want change as much and they know that this is what to expect and this is what I need to get. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's a generational thing. Maybe the next generation is the one that changes that because they only know subscription model. But that's yeah. yet to be said in 10 years. And they let won't me have put this challenge out there. Let's solve for this. Let's yeah. find a better way. I just, and I, I mean, I think about this a lot because it's incredibly important to really think about the structure of how we charge fees and does it send the right message, especially when you're a financial planner. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not an, a money manager. I'm by trade. So when we're getting judged on money management alone, that's one of the real downfalls to mm -hmm. this model is that you tend to get judged on performance when we do so many other things that add incredible amounts of value, arguably a lot more than how we manage money. Yeah. No, I agree. But somebody help us Someone, out here. Let's figure it out. Let's, let's figure it out it. together. It's going to be a Gen Z person they, that does it. <laughs> <laughs> Buy or sell. The services financial advisors provide to their clients in 10 years will be more than just investment management. And I'll even throw in a different word here, comprehensive financial Well, planning. see, now you threw me for a loop. All right, I'll, I'll stay true to what we're doing. We'll <laughs> um, be more than just investment management and financial planning. Yeah, so the, so my answer originally when it just said financial planning Go was with that buy one. Go with, with that, that okay. disclaimer. Okay. That financial planning is this word that's thrown out. It's thrown out by um, people who work for insurance companies, probably more commonly than you know people inside of just 
traditional wealth management. So I think that comprehensive financial planning is that is really one of the key points of the future and not just, again, using or leveraging that software and handing that binder. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why I, I buy it, but with a disclaimer that we really identify what is the financial planning, what are we doing on the financial planning side? I think side. it gets deeper than where it is right now. We just scratched the surface of what financial planning is. Mm -hmm. Buy or sell, technology, last one. So we have a, uh, a buy, a buy, or sell. We have a buy, buy a sell, sell, and a, a buy. buy. Okay. Yep. Buy or sell, technology adoption within the financial advisor industry tends to be lower due to the industry's lack of capacity to learn the technology as opposed to a lack of budget to buy the technology. Yeah, I definitely buy this, and I buy it for one big reason. Um, I'm going to use the we're trying to teach old dogs new tricks, and I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, it is absolutely a play on the age, the aging advisor that we have in our industry, but we have to deal with the fact that our average age of our advisor, and I'm, I may be making this up, but I know I've heard it a couple times, is at least 55, yeah. or around right. 55. And um, so I don't have a source for that, but we hear it over and over and over again. You're the source. So I'm the source. So imagine a 55-year-old in the age in which they were teenagers and in their 20s, they were just, in their late 20s, just starting to dabble with the idea of using a computer. A lot of times it was something that they were sharing with 10 other people in the office, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to we have to understand that the aptitude or, you know, the, the training or the, you know, in these huge educational years of your life, your teens and your 20s, where your brain capacity to absorb things and learn new things is really at its height. Um, we didn't capture that with our 55 and plus, 55 year old plus advisor mm -hmm. that's out there. And so I think um, part of this is going to fall off naturally mm -hmm. just because of retirement and, and attrition and things, you know. So you're a bull. I love that. <laughs> I love I, having bulls. I, 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 and I, and that, that, is, that is the truth, right? It is a generational mismatch yeah. where where the industry is going and where the industry is. Yeah. And that's going to take some time to get over. And so there's a lot of education that technology firms need to provide. And they need to have a lot of handholding. They need to understand yes. that. And if Patience. they don't, <laughs> if they don't, then they're not going to it's not going to succeed, right? Totally. And and you have to be really it's the leaders of the industry are can, are still in the relationship business and will always be in the relationship mm -hmm. business. And so as a technology provider, which is different and makes you uncomfortable as a technology provider is you have to build a relationship. Mm -hmm. You have to build a relationship that's valuable. That's going to be, that's going to serve you well as you grow. So, uh, all right, well, I'm going to let you get back, but I want you to give a closing thought in terms of one thing that an advisor listening can take away and implement into their firm tomorrow to really push them ahead a little bit. Yeah. And then I'll give a closing thought and then everybody can go back and do do their daily routine. Yeah, you know, I think my closing thought is just that we as an industry, we have to do better. And that's such a simple mm. thing to say. But what I really mean is we need to we need to swim in the vulnerable space of change. We need to allow it and we need to really move forward and push without any reservation, without any um, without any real ability for somebody to really push us back that the client is the most important thing and that any decision we make, anything that we do has to be for the betterment of our clients. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like even from a regulatory standpoint, from building the independent industry, in my opinion, needs to become that big voice, that big driver, where as long as we're advocating for the consumer, advocating for our clients, that's where the next mm -hmm. 10, 15, 20 years is going to be. Mm -hmm. And that is where we are irreplaceable because we're going out there and we're making sure 
sure that no matter what, our clients know that we're going to do the right thing by them. You know, so we can call ourselves fee-only and all these other things. Clients don't understand that. They don't know what fee-only means, but we have to do a better job of being relatable, you know, swimming again in this in this industry of change, leveraging that change, but just going back to core values of integrity, transparency, um, and then leveraging all that innovation that can come out of this to be a consumer advocate. That's our opportunity. Consumer advocacy. I love that. I think that there is no doubt in my mind that we have to be more of an advocate for our consumers in in more ways than just investment management. Mm-hmm. And, and as you're saying, the comprehensive financial planning and helping them reach their true desires as opposed to, I just want to retire. Well, what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? Um, and, I, and where I'm going is somewhere similar. Differentiation, simple word to understand, but a very tough word to act on. But this word is the secret sauce to, to success really in any business, but very much so in the financial advisory world, especially as the industry continues to evolve over the coming years. And so the silver bullet question should always be, how do we differentiate ourselves? In my opinion, back 20 or 30 years ago, as I've mentioned before, firms were able to differentiate on their investment management strategy. Then starting about 10 or 15 years ago, firms were able to differentiate on the fact that they did financial planning and the firm down the road did not. But going forward, differentiation will be about the services, value, and servicing that you're able to provide to your clients. I once spoke with a successful entrepreneur. His name was David Payne, and he started and sold a company called Scout Mob here in Atlanta. We were talking about innovations and startups and his philosophy when building these companies. His advice, what can you build that is 10x better than what is currently out there? You notice that it wasn't necessarily what is something new you can build, but rather what can you do 10x better than what is currently out there? And for financial advisors, myself included, it can be tough at times to try to think too far outside of the box on how to differentiate for the end client. But with this thought from David, you don't have to go too far outside the box of services you are providing. Rather, you can look at all the services that you are or could provide and determine which one resonates the most with your specific clients. And then ask yourself, can you do that service 10 times better than anyone else out there? 10X. We always want the 10X return on our investments. But now you need to find that 10X service that will separate you from the pack. And when you do that, the answer to how you differentiate will already be there. Beth Bosworth, amazing conversation that could have gone for probably another three hours. <laughs> uh, and very much appreciate you taking this time out of your day today. This was awesome. I really appreciate what you're uh, doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. And to everybody out there listening, thank you for your time. And we'll be in your ears next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. The central wish could get you.